Endometriosis impacts 190 million people around the world. And if you could hear the stories of these people, the days of work, the lost relationships, the loss of income, that Matilda will change these people's lives and it truly will give them a place, a friend in their pocket that they can turn to and say, hey, I'm having a problem and I need someone to show me where to go, someone to hold my hand while I go there and help me go to the right people. Welcome to the Epic Angels podcast. Every episode, we put the spotlight on one of our portfolio startups. My name is Mikey. And my name is Hester. After the conversation with the founder, Mikey and I will have a conversation together with one of our Epic Angels to reflect on this investment. Living life with chronic and painful conditions can be confusing, isolating, and expensive. But Matilda Health from Australia is on a mission to change that. Matilda is a mind-body gym membership for chronic and painful conditions. The first condition they're tackling is endometriosis. By proving symptom tracking, evidence-based modules, community, and expert-led classes, they aim to provide scalable, holistic care to the 119 million people who suffer from endometriosis globally. Today, we have with us Joe and Kevin, the co-founders of Matilda Health. Joe and Kevin, you're both clinicians yourselves, and you're subject matter experts in the women's health and chronic pain fields. You've won many awards and grants. It's just really impressive when I saw that bio, like grants from Perth Biodesign for Digital Health Competition, West Tech Fest, uh, the 2022 Kurt Innovation Award, amongst others. I want to learn a little bit more about you. Who are you and how did you come up with Matilda Health? Yeah, so I could probably get started with this. So I am one half of the co-founding team. So I'm Joe, and I am a pelvic health physio by background. So that means that I became a physio and then I went on to study my continence and women's health master's degree. And Kev, maybe I'll let you introduce yourself here. Yeah, so I'm also a physio. That's how Joe and I originally met. I'm probably more of the typical, I suppose, musculoskeletal physio working in private practice, but ended up doing a PhD over here in Curtin in Perth, Western Australia, looking at how movement and posture relate to low back pain and the influence of psychological factors. So a lot about recovery from low back pain. Yeah, so Kev and I met working at a clinic together. So we both were very passionate about chronic pain and different types of pain that people experience and how we can influence that. Um, and we used to have lots of dinners once a month, we'd have a dinner and I would whinge all the time about endometriosis and pelvic pain and say, this is so underserved, underfunded, under-researched, people can't afford to see me. It's very frustrating. And at the time, Kev was doing a bit of work in the digital health space in mental health at a different startup. And we decided to kind of jump in and have a go at Perth by Design, which is an accelerator for digital health in Perth based on the Stanford model of by Design. And so we jumped into that and really spent the six months exploring the problem space and really trying to deeply understand all the problems someone might face with endometriosis. And then we ended up winning that. So we pitched to um, at a big kind of award night and ended up winning that, um, I suppose it is a competition. And from there, that's when Matilda was born. So we kind of really thought we were onto something then. And I mean, Endometriosis is a condition. Many people might not be familiar with it, but it's pretty severe, right? And I said it in my intro as well, 190 million people globally get impacted by this. Can you explain what is endometriosis actually? 
Yeah, so endometriosis is a chronic inflammatory condition where tissue that's similar to the lining of the uterus, so it's not the same, but it's similar, is found in other parts of the body. So it's been found, it's often called a reproductive disease, but it's actually not a reproductive disease because it's been found much further beyond the reproductive system. So this tissue has been found on the heart, on the brain, on the tips of fingertips, on every major organ of the body. It's really poorly understood the cause, but the NHS have listed it in the top 10 or top 20 most painful conditions in the world, up there with things like broken bones. So it is, it really does cause that significant burden of pain um, and significant impact on a person's both physical and mental health. I was just going to add, I think also, I mean, it's probably a conservative estimate that it's 190 million. So um, here in Australia, it used to be one in 11 uh, women or people assigned female. And there are actually rare documented cases of it in men as well. There's about 30 documented cases. So it does or can affect men or people in all sorts of uh, gender identities. So we like to be very inclusive with that. Um, but yeah, it's, it used to be one in 11, then it was down to one in nine and more recent research last year in September was released. And it's actually one in seven and there's a really long time to diagnosis. So on average, it's about seven years and that's due to the complexities around diagnosis. The gold standard here in Australia is through a laparoscopic surgery. We know how hard it is to find specifically trained gynecologists in this. So there's a massive bottleneck there. There are advances around diagnostics, um, in terms of with ultrasound and with blood biomarkers. So actually think this number is a very conservative estimate. We're probably on the on the cusp of a bit of a, unfortunately, an explosion of endometriosis diagnoses. But with that comes more research, more awareness, um, and it, yeah, it, it, it's um, an important condition that we we need to address. It looks indeed that you got some tailwinds right now. The overall femtech markets to begin with, that's definitely gets a lot more attention these days. Um, although what you see is that the focus has been a lot on reproductive health and that's not what you're focusing on. You're really focusing on the, the chronic pain that people are suffering from. I, I read a stat that the endometriosis market alone is already projected to be worth 3.2 billion by 2030. So it's really, really a massive market opportunity. And I think Kevin, to what you just said, it's like there's still so many people where they're suffering from something, but they might not even know what they're suffering from and the diagnosis still has have to be made. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more that I, I kind of learn about endometriosis, it's a relatively new field. I know a lot about it now and a lot more than I did a couple of years ago. The more I see, the, learn about it, the more I see there's so many similarities to where low back pain research was a few years ago. Um, so there's lots of, I suppose, transferable knowledge that we can apply to endometriosis care. And not only that, I think the the kind of the cornerstones of management of this condition, there's, I guess there's sort of three key areas of management. One is surgical, and that's probably still the gold standard. One is medication or, or medical management. But then there's this whole bucket of what we call conservative or non-surgical, non-pharmacological management. And that's like understanding the condition, like looking after your health and well-being, your lifestyle, your mental health. We know that there's good literature and emerging that sh shows that these things can really improve symptoms and quality of life. And that's where we're trying to, I suppose, almost democratize access to that information, to that support. Uh, and that applies not only to endometriosis, but to a number of other health conditions. And, and particularly we're sort of targeting those, the health conditions that are, are, are chronic and painful and, and have holistic or that multidisciplinary care, conservative care as, as a management strategy. But certainly we're focused on endo first. I think there's a, a massive underserved population there. We we know that from the the feedback that we're getting uh so we want to we want to nail that primarily first i mean 
this is clearly a massive opportunity area, right? Unfortunately, there's a lot of people suffering from this. So now let's switch to your solution. Mm. You're both therapists. You're treating a lot of patients, including women uh, with endometriosis. So you've spoken with hundreds of patients with this condition. So what is really the biggest issue from a from patient perspective? And how are you solving that with Matilda Health? So we absolutely done lots and lots and lots of customer interviews. And we both are still treating clinically to make sure we stay really close to that customer. So with our customer interviews, we came up with three key statements that really summarized what we heard. And they were, I don't understand my condition. I feel alone and isolated on this journey and I can't afford to have this disease. So we've come up with four pillars that Matilda sits under. So the ability for people to track their symptoms allows people to better understand their endometriosis. So we know that data, data from wearables, data that we input ourselves helps us better understand our health. And so we've taken that and really applied it to endometriosis. We've then got the ability for people to learn from our evidence-based resource library and to understand their specific kind of taking that tracking data, but then actually understanding it more with good quality evidence versus kind of going to Google and siphoning through what, what you might find. Um, and then we've got a connection piece where you can connect with other endo warriors. So people on a similar journey to yourself and also clinicians that are specialized in this field, which then goes to turn all of that information that they've learned about into action. We offer a live and on-demand class schedule. So we know that people really want to be able to access these clinicians. And I hear that week in, week out in clinic. But unfortunately, it's expensive. So you think about in Australia to see a pelvic health physio is $220 an hour. Then you've got a dietitian at a similar price, psychologist at a similar price, naturopath. And by the time you've done your initial consult, you're over $1,000 already and you haven't even had any follow-ups. So where we've kind of changed that is instead of having one-to-one care, which we know is optimal, we've gone one-to-many, which while it may not be perfect care, it's much more accessible care. So wherever you are, you can afford it and you can access it. And that comes in the form of light class schedule, light Peloton for your chronic disease. I think the other thing that's part of that is that not only are we evidence-based, and I think that's really important. And, and, you know, I'm a scientist by training and Joe and I have supervised endometriosis students or students studying their master's in pelvic health for an endometriosis project. And we're continuing to collect data and we want to be evidence generating with this knowledge, not just evidence informed. If you look at it from the patient, it's you can track, you can learn, you have a community and you have classes on how to better deal uh, with your symptoms uh, so, so that it all becomes more manageable. And that's from the patient perspective. Um, I mean, I can imagine uh, these patients are also going to other therapists and so on. What is your value proposition, your solution for the other therapists out there? So definitely as clinicians ourselves, we thought about that a lot and we've interviewed a lot of other clinicians to say, hey, if in an optimal world, what would you have, what would these patients have that would make your life easier as well? So part of it was um, time management for the gynecologist. They don't have time to do optimal education. So they've got these short consults, they've got long wait lists. So how can they better serve their patient still within their time constraints? So for them alone, their referral basis was as simple as saying, hey, I just want to know that I can refer my patient to somewhere where it's a trusted source of information from a patient care perspective. And then from other clinicians' point of view, we had the similar sort of experience that you might be a physio treating a patient, but you know they'd benefit from dietetic support, but the patient can't afford it. So it's that ability to have that multidisciplinary care, but actually the clinician knows that the only way that's going to be achieved 
for the majority of the population is through something like Matilda. I think that speaks through with our data as well. So most of our referrals have come from clinicians. So clinicians aren't shy of, of referring to the platform. That's been the, the predominant source of referrals, but also social media, word of mouth, and just organic search. We haven't actually done any, um, I suppose, paid marketing, targeted marketing yet. So yeah, it's really, I suppose, validating that clinicians are our biggest referrer. So maybe that's good to say as well. You're, you're very early stage, you're pre-seat. Uh, so you're now just two clinicians who made an app, right? Which uh, I still find amazing. Like, <laughs> I, I want, actually, I want to hear a little bit more about that. How, how did that happen? How do you make this app? Two clinicians making an app is a funny story. <laughs> you laugh about this one day. How do we Sounds make- like a start of a joke. Let's <laughs> start like the start of a joke. Um, I would say Kev is much more techie than I am. I We can laugh about this now, but I would say like a year ago, Kev would watch me use my MacBook and just be like, Joe, there's so many shortcuts you could be pressing and it's painful to watch and it is painful to watch. Whereas uh, now we're on the second version of our no-code app. So we've used no-code um, to get our MVP out there. And that's been great in terms of the ability for a clinician to drag and drop. So essentially it's that ability, to, the back end and the front end are kind of taken care of. It's just using templates to make sure that we can format it the way we want it and iterate quickly. And it has allowed us to iterate quickly. We're about to jump onto our new no-code platform, which is really exciting from a data security point of view. They've got really high data security from not just from Australia, but around the world. So that's been really important. And so we're about to jump on with them at the moment. But Kev, I think you could probably talk a little bit more about our early tech days. Um, although I have to say, I definitely have improved my tech capabilities over the year. Jo is a very <laughs> a very quick learner and she's um, very determined, but yeah, it was frustrating. I think I just hate inefficiency. I've got a background, I suppose, in videography and, and podcasts and, and those sorts of things. So I've always loved that tech side of things. And I think it also just came about through frustration. I mean, in an ideal world, we'd have a tech co-founder that joined us after Perth Biodesign, but that just wasn't the way it way it was was going so we're like well stuff it we'll just build it ourselves or at least try um and so that was just like i suppose that kind of bias to action try to get something out in market get feedback and iterate on that they say if you if you're not ashamed of your first version then you've released too late and i'd say we're still ashamed of it or we are still got high expectations of how we want the product to be so we've just hired an amazing tech person very part-time and, and that's part of this raise as well actually is is so that we can really push the boundaries of what's possible i think as clinicians Joe and I have this instinctual, you know, we know this is going to help lots of people. We've already got feedback that it's helping lots of people, but we really want to marry that, I suppose, digital or that deep health knowledge. And we've got an amazing clinical and lived experience advisory board, absolutely like world-class, uh, marry that health expertise with the technological expertise to really bring this sort of solution to as many people as possible, ideally 190 million. Yeah. Perfect. No, and I mean, you when you were saying this, I downloaded the app, my expectations were low, and then I downloaded it, it was like, this actually looks super cool, right? So, um, yeah, I, Thanks, I, think I would not be ashamed of this at all as your first version, indeed, as you're launching. And indeed, the quote is spot on. If you're not embarrassed of your first launch, you launch yes. too late. So that, that's what it, what it has to be, because that's the only way to get your customer feedback. Um, so, you launched a product, so that's really good. Um, 
what happened, right? What's the traction? Can you share anything about that? Or what's the business model that you are anticipating with this? So our traction's been great. We've had some early stage revenue. Now we're trying a few different pricing models to work out which way kind of is the best. And we've been really well supported um, by other digital health companies in the field in Australia, which has been great. Actually, I should say around the world, we've been really well supported with people giving advice on direct-to-consumer business models in the health space, which has been great. At the moment, we are currently on a subscription model, so software subscription as a service, but we are moving to having some one-off payments within there as well, whether they be for longer memberships or things like that. Um, And in terms of our traction, so we've been downloaded in 27 countries, which I think is a really exciting metric for us in terms of it being a really global problem. And considering we've done no paid marketing, that excites us even more that people have found us all around the world without having um, to really, we haven't had to work hard for that. So that's been great. Yeah. So we've been, um, we've had, yeah, close to a thousand downloads or getting up there near near a thousand downloads and a conversion from free to paid around 10%, which is a, a bit higher than the industry benchmark for sort of SaaS or freemium paid apps is is two to five percent uh we've also had two b2b sales and our our kind of strategy really is to start off with um direct to consumer that's the quickest way to revenue they're they're our end user they're going to be our harshest critics so if we can validate that they're willing to pay to solve a problem then it's much easier to get other people to pay on their behalf and that's been true with uh with a with a b2b purchase from one of the 22 government funded endometriosis clinics so the albanese government a few years ago put a 58 million into endometriosis research and part of that was some clinics that have been set up uh, and we've got one out of 22 of those have already purchased, pre-purchased actually access to the platform for their users. And we're going to look at growing that as well and from a, from a B2B perspective and long-term uh, at the, you know, endometriosis costs Australia 9.7 billion per year. Most of that is predominantly to, due to pro- lost productivity. So the employers are wearing the cost of that. Um, but then also a, a quite a high percentage of that is health, uh, the health systems. Like I said, I'm a clinician or an, and a scientist at, at heart. We're collecting data and, and want to do research with universities. Um, I'm still a lecturer at Curtin University here in Perth. So we want to collect data that proves clinical and cost effectiveness. That makes it an absolute no-brainer for governments to, to buy the solution and put it into the hands of, of their users. Yeah, I think the B2B market excites us. So we um, that direct-to-consumer, like Kev said, is absolutely our no-brainer of way to iterate quickly. But some other B2B options we're exploring are things like workplace wellbeing, um, which we know it's very important from the loss of productivity piece, but also that earlier age group of kind of private girl schools or earlier in school and things like that, where there are a lot of these people suffering um, in silence in that earlier years. And to answer your previous question about business models at the moment, the, the sort of subscription we've talked about is just purely for what we've called the Tilly Tribe membership. So that provides access to those four pillars like we talked about. Uh, very soon, one of the big challenges with this is at the moment, everyone needs an, um, surgery and and that's kind of the gold standard, but people don't really know what to do either before or after the surgery. So we know that in other conditions like knee osteoarthritis, there's what we call prehab or pre Uh, surgery rehabilitation, as well as rehab, which is obviously post-surgery. And there's some really clear cohort courses around that. So that's certainly uh, an area that we're looking to develop and and release our first, what we've called um, a cohort pathway or a prep for surgery cohort, where we get a bunch of people that are due to have surgery around the same time together and through that cohort guide them through, these are the things you need to be doing. These are the things that you should be mindful of. This is how you're probably going to feel and just reduce that anxiety around surgery uh, and help make that a smoother process, which is hopefully going to reduce things like length of stay, readmissions, have better surgery outcomes, less recurrent surgeries after that. 
um, which is obviously a huge benefit for health insurers and, and governments and employers. And um, talking about your further growth, because you were first talking, you're in Australia, you started to work on this and, and you said that you're like 27 countries yeah. downloaded already. Wow. You know, so what does this mean in terms of your vision for further expansion? I think expansion from a geographical perspective, but also expansions from a condition perspective, because endometriosis is the first condition that you're working on. Your plans are a lot bigger than that. Can you share a little bit more about that vision? Yeah, so maybe I'll talk a little bit about the condition kind of expansion. So in terms of different conditions we've explored so and kind of popped on our roadmap, so things that make a lot of sense, ex expanding into things like general pelvic pain, period pain, which is obviously applicable kind of similar style of um of program delivery, so that tracking same pillars. And then in the same breath as that um, is things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is another condition that impacts women, which is characterized by pain and holistic management as the primary treatment protocol. And then delving down the surgical pathway of things like hysterectomies, which we know is very common in women. And also same problem space is that the holistic care doesn't really sit there of what to do pre and post-surgery. And then we've talked about pelvic organ prolapse. So pelvic organ prolapse impacts 50% of women. It's under-discussed. It often has a lot of fear around it. Um, and also relies on those same pillars of medical, surgical, holistic care. So all conditions that are painful, under-discussed, under-researched, underfunded, but have this high impact um, on people's quality of life. We're not married to those conditions, I would say, but they are ones that we have definitely discussed. And from a geographical expansion, I think most of our modelling has been around kind of Australia, New Zealand, the UK and the US. But um, we're also really excited about some of the more emerging markets. And that's probably one of the things that excites us about chatting to you, Marky, and the Epic Angels crew is that there's people everywhere. And I think markets like India, Bangladesh, Vietnam, like really underserved people. And if we can help provide them with some, at least, you know, basic levels of care, we can have a really big impact in that space. And there's obviously lots of um, opportunity in that area to, to have a big impact. And specifically in the UK, I think yeah. you were even recently, right? Correct. Yeah. So one of the prizes that Joe uh, and Joe and I won was a, a trip to London Tech Week last year. Uh, we also went there as part of an accelerator that we did on one of Perth's more prestigious accelerators here in, in Perth called Plus 8. Uh, and and as I went as part of the, the West Australian delegation and we made some really good relationships with kind of the key WA government stakeholders in the UK, but also introductions to, you know, uh, lawyers and other kind of business coaches and angels and NHS networks. And, and another area that we're quite excited about is with our, our next no-code developer. They're from Sydney originally, but they've just flipped up and they're headquartered out of Cambridge University now. We're part of the West Midlands Health Tech Innovation Network. Um, so we're, we're certainly, I think the, the UK, the NHS is, is screaming out for digital community driven solutions. The wait time I think I've heard is sort of around eight to nine years for an, an elective surgery for a, seeing a specialist gynecologist. That's just unacceptable. And, um, yeah, we hope to be part of that, that solution to help with that. And we've made some really good connections with gynecologists, with large physio organizations over there in the UK. Um, so that's certainly looking like a, a useful next market. So these are great plans for the future but first things first you launched the app great right you have your mvp you're getting that customer feedback now you're raising your first real rounds what are you raising and what are you raising for like what are these next milestones on a shorter term that you aim to achieve with the money that you're raising 
uh, raises for 500,000 Australian. So what that's going to achieve is it's going to allow us to tighten on our product market fit. So be able to have that tech hire and have that tech support so that we can iterate quickly with our feedback from customers. So we don't have a shortage of customers wanting to provide feedback, but the problem that has been for us is having that tech to actually be able to implement the feedback. So that's part of where that's going to go. And then being able to really pay for some marketing. When we've done our customer interviews and ask people where they find out this information from, what does actually, I never thought I'd say this, but what excites us is that really social media is where people go to get their information from. And so we want to be able to actually use these channels to say, hey, this is what we're doing and this is the product we've got um, and have that support in the marketing sphere as well. And I guess just, yeah, testing, I suppose, getting towards um, channel market fit and testing other, the appetite for other products, inflammatory biomarkers, wellness tracking interventions, smaller groups, just, I guess, what the customer is demanding and have that capacity to test, iterate, get feedback and quickly do that with an actual um, team instead of Joe and I kind of trying to juggle lots of balls. What are your expectations from, from Epic Angels, from other investors who will be joining in this round? I would say we are exceptionally coachable founders. So we we love feedback. You can tell us that our baby is ugly every day of the week because we love it. And we get this we actually get this feedback a lot from people we talk to is that we are coachable, we learn quickly, we're happy for you to tell us how to do things and we recognize we're very humble and we recognize that what we're good at and what we can do and we're happy to to learn from others who have much better skills in other areas than us. So we are, that would be, I think the the best thing that we could really get out of this is to say, hey, let me show you how to do something in a better way because that's something I'm really good at. And I we would love that feedback. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And I think so obviously the capital is one side of things, but um that that kind of support from a yeah, testing business models and go-to-market strategies and um, th- those sorts of other aspects of of running a sustainable, successful business and, and the tech aspect. We feel like we've got the health and the management of the condition side of things in spades, but it's about, um, yeah, really being able to optimize that and really capitalize on that knowledge and, and translate that into, yeah, a, a highly scalable product. Even though you just got started, as an investor, you're always looking into like, okay, right, is there a potential return on my investments? Do you have any thoughts at all already about potential exit scenarios for you? So I'll start this and then hand over to Kev. But throughout our accelerator programs, we have really thought about this and built Matilda with that in mind, keeping in mind of who else is in the space and what might they be interested in, in terms of when we build Matilda. So when we've looked at that, we've talked about other big life science companies that are interested in that digital health space that have similar pillars to us of that looking at long-term holistic management within different conditions. And the way we've built our framework has been having that very common back end and company um, background by having conditions that sit on top of that. Yeah, so I think just just to sort of expand on that, I think certainly there's some some large digital health companies that are starting to spread tentacles in Australia. Um, that we're aware of and just being mindful of what they specifically are looking for. I think just generally the world of chronic disease management is an expanding and largely growing problem. So there are, as Joe mentioned, large life sciences and pharmacological companies, you know, even just large health systems and services that would find uh, a sort of a solution that helps improve kind of condition specific conditions to, to might find that quite attractive as well. 
And maybe for, for everyone who's listening, could you both say in roughly one sentence, why should people invest in Matilda Health? Oh, it's caught me off guard. Yeah, <laughs> one sentence. <laughs> it, endometriosis impacts 190 million people around the world. And if you could hear the stories of these people, the days of work, the lost relationships, the loss of income, that Matilda will change these people's lives and it truly will give them a place a friend in their pocket that they can turn to and say, hey, I'm having a problem and I need someone to show me where to go, someone to hold my hand while I go there and help me go to the right people. Because I think at the moment that care journey is convoluted and confusing and it is not, it isn't, yeah. I just think that knowing that your capital will provide that impact to people all around the world experiencing a hugely problematic condition. And just to add a couple of points, um, just one feedback or, or rating we've got on the app store is, is Godsend. I only wish this app was available while I waited my roughly eight years for diagnosis. Informative, accessible, on-demand access when you want to or when you need it. I love the classes. This app gives the power back to you. No, so in addition to that lovely user quote, I think there's a couple of other reasons why people should consider investing in Matilda. I think um, our, our, we've demonstrated that we can get stuff done. Um, we've run on the smell of an oily rag and managed to get an MVP out there that's seen customers, that's also seen B2B customers as well as just our, our direct-to-consumer customers. We've got relationships in this space, um, our large referral sources from health professionals, uh, an example of that. Um, so we've got all those relationships in place to fast track further B2B partnerships, um, as well as that the research side of things. We're, we're very well connected with a number of research organizations around Australia and in, indeed some gynecologists around the world. Um, and when you're investing in an early stage company, I think you're investing in the person. So hopefully people can see that we've demonstrated that ability to execute. Yeah. But Beautiful. I really love it. I mean, you are pre-seeds, which we know it's really early and not everyone is comfortable in investing in pre-seed. And I get that. For me, the most important part at this stage is to have the right founding team and customer validation. Now, you clearly have both. I mean, I really love the passion and the knowledge the two of you bring to the table. Thank you so much, Joe and Kevin, for sharing the beautiful story about Matilda Health. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much, Marky. Stay tuned and we will continue our podcast with Hester and one of our Epic Angels investors to hear more about why we are interested in investing in Matilda Health. Now let's hear from the investors what they have to say about this startup. And please remember, we're not a financial advisor. All opinions expressed by Epic Angels are intended as educational and reflect the personal research and experiences of the team. Today we have with us Eva Wong. Eva is an Epic investor since last year, and in her day job, she is a senior manager at Amazon Web Services. In this role, she works closely together with transformative innovations that have digital technologies at the core. She also is a fitness and health enthusiast. So from both the tech and the health perspective, it is great to have you here to discuss this health tech deal. Welcome, Eva. Thank you, Hesta. It's great to have you here. 
So we just heard from the team, just to make clear, this is a pre-seed stage startup. So that means that there is no sensible metrics that we can apply or any math to the growth path of the startup yet. So what we typically do in such an early stage startup is we really look at the team because it doesn't really matter what they're building. Only a great team can make this startup a success. I would love to hear from you. How do you feel about investing in a pre-seed company and what is your view of the team? Um, to me, when I look at the company, I look at the potential. What problem they are trying to solve? Does it have a potential? And also, I think probably every investor would, besides the number makes sense, you also have some personal interest in that. As you said, I'm a health and fitness advocate. So anything related with health and fitness always will attract my attention. And I like the idea of, of how they democratize healthcare make it more accessible to people. And when I say democratize healthcare, it's not just about the cost. Like um, they talk a lot about it's high cost. Um, so people may not be able to afford it, make it accessible. It's important. I agree with that. But I also, when it comes to pain management, irrespective of how rich you are, pain is a feeling. No money can take pain away. And giving the control back to the patient or the person who suffer from pain, know that they are not alone, know that it's something that they could mitigate, they could have a better quality of life. I think that is something very important. The I really like the two founders. They have a virtue in their um, belief why they come up with this idea. And also I love the positive energy between the two of them. Every time when you hear them talk, you just feel the positive energy. They are trying to contribute to greater good in the society. And at the same time, they're also very level-headed. They thought about the potential, um, the market size, the, health, the public health care system. Um, would employer insurance company be supporting on the financial part, part, like make it even more accessible to people? They even think about having the app distributed in high school um, mm -hmm. students. They actually, I think they have thought it through besides their strong belief on yeah. they want to help to resolve a health issue in, I mean, in the female population. Um, yeah. So I, I really like them. And one thing that also made me very confident into the founder is they, not only they're biased for action, they are open-minded because they sought feedback from both patient and the clinician, which is very, very important. That's how they started opening the B2B business. And they are scrappy as well. They're willing to roll up their sleeves and be the one who developed the app. And when, when they couldn't find someone technical enough to do it, they just do it themselves. But at the same time, they're not too um, delve into it and they want to raise money so that they could hire a really technical expert to help them to fine tune or, or modify the app to make it even better. They know what where their space is, but if they are needed, to make things happen, they are always be prepared to dive into it and make it happen, which I think that that really win me over. And I think another thing that I, I like is they always have that attitude is iterating process. Even during our first call, the pitch night, um, I remember Michael was, was asking a question. And instead of giving the answer to you, they actually ask us back, like, what are our view? We have been like seeing so many startups, what would be your view to it? Um, I think openness, willing to hear feedback, 
it it comments, you know, suggestion is something that resonate very well to me. That um, we have two strong founder that works very well with each other, open minded, willing to take in feedback. I think that build a very strong foundation yeah. for they success. They said we are exceptionally coachable. Right at the end, I really like that. It is, uh, yeah, at such early stage, they're learning. And that uh, I think it's a very good point what you said. They know where they come from. They're both physios, so they actually know the space, but they also understand what they don't understand. And they are solving for that. So that, that's great. So one of those things that they understand is the health space, clearly, right? So they have actually worked and seen patients who are living with this pain every day, are so used to it, solve it in all sorts of ways to be able to work normally, to have a social life normally. And they are just uncovering this whole space, which is huge, right? With 190 million people who have it, which takes seven years to diagnose also because it's covered up. So they know the whole, the health part of it. They are now building a business, which is new to them, a tech business of all things. How do you think that the people who suffer from this pain feel about using tech to solve their problems? Wouldn't they want to speak to a human? I believe pandemic has changed the way we live and we work. People are accustomed more, I mean, more open-minded and more accustomed to be connected digitally and virtually. And um, when people, I mean, I mean, I actually have suffered not the same condition, but some health issue a couple of years ago that bring me pain for about six to eight months. And I can tell you, sometimes when you suffer from pain, it's very hard for you to explain to people who are healthy and normal what are you suffering. If you couldn't sleep, your mind is always being troubled by the pain or the discomfort. And I think sometimes because the easy assess of pain killer like over-counter drugs makes it harder for people to be empathetic because they would just say, oh, if you have a headache, you know, why don't you just take some painkiller? If you have a stomach painkiller, you know, everything could be resolved by painkiller. And it does uncover the syndrome. But when you have a clinical pain condition, the thing is like maybe every four hours you need to take painkiller. And towards the end of that three-ish hour, the pain started coming back. Your life, in control by that discomfort and by the pain you cannot live normally and it's actually really bothering and you will hear um, people who uh, have depression just purely because of health issues that give them enormous pain that they don't know how to resolve and so I think have a digital platform make it accessible and also sometimes the pain just comes so unexpectedly you may not be able to schedule an appointment right away so having a digital platform that you can assess in your pocket, you know, you can just click the app, you know, look at ways how to manage your condition. I, I think it's it's great. I I will think people are a lot more open-minded. They just want to find ways to help them to lessen condition or how to manage. So you've been through a similar situation yourself. So should you have had access to such an app back then, how would it have helped you? I think, well, a few ways. First, you get to talk to people because like people who are suffering the similar condition with you will understand how it impacts your life, your well-being. It, you might not be able to perform really simple daily tasks just purely because of the pain that you're suffering. And able sometimes you just need to vent a little bit and talk to people who understand what you're going through. And also knowing how to manage the pain is very important. For me, I use exercise to help me to rebuild 
my body and that elevator pain. And sometimes it's about ignorance. You don't know when you don't know, or there's only so much Google could tell you, or sometimes it's overwhelmed by information. You don't know what are the right information. And this app is being developed by two uh, clinicians. So you know it's trustworthy information that you can follow through. You don't have to filter through, and you probably will be able to ask questions and then get feedback as well. So I think um, it would really, a I would say it's transformative. And it could be life-changing for some of the female who suffer the syndrome. Yeah, yeah. that's great to hear firsthand. Um, Mike, is there, is there anything that attracts you in this deal that we have not covered? I think indeed the, the, the founders is by far the number one, as you said, Eva, the energy between the two of them. It's so good. They're both different. So I think they're an amazing team together. The knowledge that they have, the background insane um, and as we say within epic angels we invest in founders who refuse to die but also who choose agility over ego and it's that combination that is so critical and that's clear with them like they're so driven about they've seen so many patients with this issue like we gotta solve this we gotta fix this because they know just as a therapist they you can't solve it there's more than just that right so something more holistic has to be done and it's driven by all these patients really by the user instead of oh i can build this app no it's driven by a real problem and that's the thing for me that tells me that's a founder that refuses to die. They they see it. They really, really want to solve it. Um, and it's not about ego. It's all about what can we do? How can we have others help us to, to really make this successful and to really help the patient in the end? Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it might be by chance that they developed the app on no-code platform because they do not have a technical expert. But that also becomes their advantage because it makes it a lot easier to iterate the app. They can always just change add features, do some changes, um, enhance it better in a much more efficient way. So I actually, I think that is the advantage as well, that they don't have a platform that they need to do a lot of work when they want to iterate, do some iteration or changes to the app. Yeah. Their, their real asset is not the app. The asset is the content that's on the app. It is the community that they're building. So it's okay, indeed, if the platform that they're using right now is just no code. That's that's good. Great to just test and learn to see what's really needed. But also, if he can, if they can change it very quickly, they can be very responsive to the patient connection. So this is something, that's why, that's something I think is an advantage to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can learn and iterate quick. But indeed, the USP of this company is in the content and community and the team. It's hard to copy their, what they know and, and who they are. Last but not least, we talked a little bit about the exit potential and the paths that they see. Do you have a view on that? What, what do you think about the exit potential of Matilda Health? I do think they have a strong exit potential because um, they are actually building an app that will help to lessen the public healthcare system. And it's not just for Australia. Um, when they talk about they have download in seven, 27 countries, I think um, health expert, it's in a way it could be a easier product to sell comparing to commodity because you don't have much market difference, cultural difference, these type of things. Of course, we need to look at the legislation acts, but I, I am quite confident on their product, their exit potential because it actually helped the government to resolve 
the burden of their healthcare systems, and also looking at the large number of the population and a lot of them probably unknown, unaddressed. And you can look at not just developed country, but also developing country because it makes it so accessible, so low cost. So I am quite confident with their exit strategy. Nice. You, Micah? Yeah, I think it's it's the same. It's also in terms of prevention. Prevention is a massive trend within healthcare. This also might really help prevention or at least making it, keeping everything within control. So it becomes manageable, which lowers the cost. So it's it's other healthcare companies, but also maybe insurance companies where I can definitely see that there's a lot of potential for them going forward. And the whole femtech world is it's actually still pretty young. And so there's a lot of players still getting into the world of femtech. There's a lot of attention. There's a lot of VC dollars actually right now being allocated to femtech. So that's also going to help them a lot to further develop this to a certain scale that it becomes interesting for an acquisition. Nice. Yeah. And what we saw also is that um, this top-down push, more and more government uh, institutions are actually uncovering the scale of this problem, which is wind in their sails, which is great. Yeah. Good, Eva. Thank you so much. It was really good to hear your perspective. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed looking behind the scenes. The objective of this podcast is to demystify angel investing and to share insights so you can learn more about the world of venture capital. Interested to see if you can become an angel investor yourself? Contact us via info at epicangelnetwork.com or go to our website at epicangelnetwork.com.